My name is James, lead the team here at New Community. It's great to see you. We are continuing our series that we're doing. We kind of, inter- I explained this a few weeks ago, interrupted the series that we thought we were doing because we really feel God is speaking to us as a church. And so we want to be a responsive people. There's been a, a number of prophetic words that kind of have, have shaped us. This. So we're asking God to make a move. And at the same time, we're wanting uh, to make a move. We want to, these prophetic words that came, lots of different ones, but kind of about being, each of us being tent pegs in the soil. And we want to ensure that our tent pegs are rooted down into good soil so that they grow up healthy and kind of straight, not wonky and off so that God can, can build something here. And other words about us being a storehouse kind of church. We want to ensure that we've got, our storehouses are full and that they're healthy. So we want to ensure that we are, I guess, producing uh, that which God would have us produce and producing something that is, is healthy. I just want you to, for a moment, just to think about kind of the world of business. Now, I'm not in any way, shape, or form, just have to put this huge disclaimer in, saying that church is like business. It's not. But I just, for the, for the moment, just want you to think, all right, about businesses. Businesses are known by what they produce, right? So if I say to you, Starbucks, you say... Well done. If I say BMW, you say? If I say Rolex, you say? Porsches. Oh, watches. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's just an accent thing. If I say Nando's, you say? We could do this all day. Uh, How about, uh, I don't know. How about church? People. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Right. Let's be real clear. Church is not a business. We're not about producing products, okay? We're about people. But the kind of people that we're, we are looking to, I, I, I feel slightly uncomfortable saying this, but you get my heart, all right? Not a business. This is not a business. But what we're trying to produce is disciples. That's fundamentally what we're all about, disciples. We have a deep conviction here in this church that everybody, if you're a Christian here today, you are a disciple and everybody has a part to play. It's not just about bums on seats. Hey, well, the church is growing. Numbers are great. That's good. We don't want you to do anything. Just come each week so the numbers stay high. No, no, that's, that's not what it's about. We have a deep conviction that everybody has a part to play. We have a deep conviction that we are not passive observers, but we are active participants in the great big story of God, that we get to join in with what God is doing here today on the earth, right here, right now. We get to play. A few years ago, I was reading a story uh, in a national newspaper of a guy called Steve Davis, who was a West Ham United fan, and he used to travel across the country to watch all their games. And he traveled in 1994 to see his team play Oxford United in a preseason friendly. It was the time when Harry Redknapp was the manager. And they were playing in this preseason, and Steve Davis was just giving the team a load of grief because they were rubbish. I mean, they're not much better now, but they weren't very good in 1994. And uh, Lee Chapman, I think, was playing up front. He's like, oh, we're not having him again, and giving him loads of grief. And then he turns on Harry Redknapp. And you're rubbish at all, mate. What is this about? I ain't watching this all week, all, all year, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, half time comes, and Harry Redknapp makes five changes. And then somebody gets injured right at the beginning of the second half and he's got no more substitutes to make. So Harry Redknapp turns around and goes, Oi, you, mate, points at Steve Davis. Can you play as good as you talk? And less than five minutes later, he's got boots on, West Ham kit on, and he's running around playing for West Ham United. Half an hour before, he'd been drinking beer and smoking a cigarette in the stands, and now he's on the pitch playing football for West Ham United, his team. And he said it's like a dream come true. He literally, uh, he said, this, this was the most amazing experience of my life. It was a lot quicker than I thought, but 
Then on the 71st minute, he says, I got the ball in front of goal. I just hit it, he said. And the ball flew past the goalkeeper into the bottom corner. And I set off in wild celebration. It was like time had stopped still. It was the greatest moment of my life. I'd scored playing for my team. What an amazing story. Except for the fact he was offside and got disallowed. But apart from that, this was a guy who got to play for his team. He came out of the stands onto the pitch and actually got to play. Wow, the invitation. Come and play on the pitch. You and I have an invitation today to get out of the stands. Not just watching, like you know that thing, football stadium, 90,000 people watching 22 people do a load of work and effort when really they're the ones who need the exercise and it should be flicked the other way around. We got an invitation. Out of the stands, off the sideline, onto the pitch. Come and play our part. Come and get involved. And Matthew 28 Verses 16 through 20. This is what we're invited to get involved into. This is the great commission. Not the great omission, but the great commission. Not for a few people here, but for all of us here. And a few weeks ago, I spoke about God really speaking to us and this whole vision that God laid before us a few years ago of of us kind of a season of multiplication and growth. I talked to her from Genesis chapter 1, the very first words that God spoke to mankind, nothing to do with trees and fruit and warning, but go be fruitful and multiply. And that's the beginning of the story. And the end of the story is Revelation 5 and 7, where the multiplication has happened, where one day there'll be a great tribe that no one can number from every tribe, every tongue, every everything gathered around the throne, and we live in this middle bit. Go be, be fruitful, multiply. And these words of Jesus, this is the scope of what we're about. These words here of Jesus, this is crucial to us in kind of directing the scale and the mission and the vision of of what we're all about. We need to prioritize these words within this church because this is the only way we're going to fulfill the mission, fulfill the vision that God has called us to. And the truth is, it's not up to us to to decide and choose the size or the scale of the vision. Jesus has already done that. It's of huge, huge proportions. Matthew 9, he says, the harvest is plentiful. In Isaiah, kind of 40, in Isaiah 9, he says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. In Isaiah 49, he says, the commission is to take the gospel to far off islands and distant shores. And it also says, any other thing, any other vision is too small a thing. Our commission is to the ends of the earth. And Matthew 28, we, we can be so familiar with these verses that we actually miss what Jesus is saying here. Let's read this, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples, don't miss that. Don't miss that. 11 disciples. You know there was 12, right? Just a chapter before, one of them, Judas, betrays Jesus, turns away, walks away from the whole thing. It leads to guilt and shame, and ultimately he hangs himself. He was so near. Judas was so near. He walked with Jesus. He knew the deal. He knew what it was all about. And yet he missed the opportunity of an adventure of a lifetime. Don't be like Judas. Be counted in. Be counted in. Be involved. Step in. Don't, don't step out. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. That right there is what it is to be a Christian. That right there is at the very essence of what it is to be a Christian. Go to a mountain in Galilee. No, that's not it. It's that next little bit, to which Jesus had directed them. They went where Jesus told them to go. 
They went where Jesus told them to go. They did what Jesus told them to do. Where he went, they followed. What he said, they did. That right there is at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. Obedience to Christ, following him. It's not legalism to do the things Jesus tells you to do. Oh, it's not legalism. It's not heavy. I'm going to obey him. He speaks, I follow. He goes, I follow. He speaks, I do. Right there is at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Can you imagine that for a moment? When they saw him. When they saw him. Well, I mean, they'd just seen him. They'd seen him shouting from the cross. They'd seen his wounds. They'd seen him die. They'd seen him be buried. And then they just saw him. Wow. I mean, I've done a number of funerals, right? I have yet to experience the moment where having just buried them or pressed the button that sees them disappear behind the curtain. I don't know what happens in that moment. They disappear behind the curtain. Three days later, I don't see them on the high street. Hey, how are you doing? No, they're gone. They'd seen him die. They were not foolish. They knew what happened, death. They knew that dead things smelled and needed to be buried. They didn't walk down the street and say hello. Wow. They have seen Jesus and they worshipped him. They fell on their face. I am not surprised in the slightest that they fell on their face. They've seen, they've seen their friend And they now know he's not just their friend. He's not just a good teacher. This is the cosmic king of the universe. This is the one who took on death and and Satan and and defeated them. This is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. This is the one who said everything. Oh, everything he said. Wow. It's come true. They fell on their face and they worshipped him. And yet some doubted. Some doubted. And the Greek word there is distazo, which perhaps more helpfully is a kind of could be understood as hesitated. They hesitated. They didn't deny Jesus. They just, they just hesitated. They were just a little bit unsure. They knew that dead things don't come back to life. And they were just a bit, oh, wow, this changes everything. There's a moment of, of hesitation. Some of us here today, if we're really honest, there's a moment of hesitation. Where they're looking in on it and thinking, is this really true? Can I really give? For others, it's, can I really give myself to this? Can I, can I really invest my life? Can I really, put, can I really step beyond the place where I'm at right now? And here's, here's what I love about it. If that's you this morning, my prayer for you is the, the, that you would experience the same wonderful experience that the disciples experienced. That in spite of their doubts, in spite of their doubts, as Jesus came closer, they began to see him for who he was. That's the promise of God. As we step towards him, we heard it earlier, he comes rushing towards us. As we step out in faith, he comes and is with us and we see him at work in our lives. Those moments of hesitation, can I really trust God with everything? As we step out and make that move, he comes and we see him and we encounter him and we get to experience him. And then verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, wow, like we miss these because we just get straight to the next bit. We miss such simple yet beautiful yet prof- and profound wow words of Scripture. And Jesus said to them, whether they were worshipping or doubting, Jesus came to them. If you this morning are a worshipper or you're a doubter or you're somewhere in between or you flip from one week to the next in between, Jesus comes to you 
He's not waiting for you. Get your act together and then I'll come and sort you out. He's waiting for you to make a move, whether you're worshipping or doubting. He comes and we get to see him. Listen, every other faith, you've got to work really hard to impress God. Here, God comes to you. And what does he say? Verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority belongs to me, says Jesus. Just think through the implications of that for a moment. Just think through what that actually means. I'm in charge of the world, says Jesus. That right there is a game changer. That right there changes everything. We have this commission to go into the world, to proclaim the gospel, to, to set, see that which is broken, restored, to see that which is messed up, made right again. We have a, a role to play, a part to play in proclaiming the gospel to the nations, to people, to sharing who Jesus is. We have a job to do. We have a role to play. We have a part to play. And it's just that, a part. Because the authority to actually change the world to actually sort out the mess, to actually rescue people, to actually redeem things, to actually change things, to actually transform the world, that rests solely on him. He's in charge. Not me. It's on him to change the world. It's on him to rescue and save people and transform people. He's got all authority. He's just proven it by defeating death on a cross. That takes some pressure off there right now. Some of us, we're running around like the, with the weight of the world on our shoulders. It's all on me. I've got to do this. I've got to sort this out. I've got to sort that person. I've got to run this. How do I do this? And we're running around feeling like we're spinning plates the whole time. Spin this plate. And then run to this one. You remember those, like before like, the internet was invented, that was in entertainment. People pl spinning plates. Like, quick, run this way. And so the picture doesn't work right now. If you're under the age of 25, you're like, what's he talking about spinning plates? The rest of us, we remember. And it's like... That's what we're doing. We're running around. Jesus says, hey, 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 whoa, 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 slow down. I'm in charge. I've got authority. You just chill out a bit. It's on me, not on you. But because I have authority, because I have authority, because I'm in charge, verse 19, you now need to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I've made a disciple of you, says Jesus, so now you go and make disciples. When you became a Christian, you immediately became a disciple. You were immediately added into the game. You were immediately brought onto the pitch. You immediately became a disciple. In the New Testament, the Greek word for disciple is mathetes, which basically just means learner. So every time you see the word Christian, which only actually gets mentioned about two or three times in the entire Bible, a Christian is a disciple, which gets mentioned about 268, 69 times, depending how pedantic you want to be. That's what it is. So every time you see the word disciple, put in the word learner. That's exactly who we are. A Christian is a learner, an apprentice, a pupil, a follower of Jesus, someone who is learning from Jesus and making other disciples, other learners, helping them to learn from Jesus as well. We don't need to overcomplicate it. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is intentionally learning from Jesus in every area of their life. And Jesus says, go therefore and make more learners from all nations, all different people groups. Just as I've done to you, you need to go and do to others. Go and make them a learner. Go out into the world. And then the second part of verse 19 says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them means preaching the gospel to them so that they know to leave their old life behind. It means proclaiming, listen, Jesus has come. It is finished. 
Trust in him. Repent of your sins. Be baptized. Leave your old life dead there and walk into the new life of creation. And he says, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Discipleship really just means, involves teaching people how to live Jesus style. How to respond to him. How to follow him. How to live like he requires of us. And the final part of verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's like Jesus says, I I know this sounds big and I know this sounds a little bit scary and I know it seems a little bit intimidating and I know you're thinking, I'm not sure I can do this. Who am I? How on earth do I make this happen? But Jesus says, listen, I've got all authority and I'm with you every step of the way. And there's never going to be a moment where you're going to go outside of my reach. And there's never going to be a moment if you're following me where I'm going to be outside of arm's reach. And there's never going to be a moment where it's all on you and I'm just like, off you go. No, no, no. I'm with you to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, this is what it's all about, making disciples. And this is what we're all about, making disciples. Being disciples who make disciples. This is the mandate. This is the calling. This is the commission upon us to go to the ends of the earth. Now, of course, it's not only new community. Far from it. That would be ridiculous. Tons of great churches. It's our every church's responsibility calling to, to fulfill the, the great commission. It's every church's responsibility to push into the, the kind of the, the extremities, if you like, of where we can go, every, to spread out, to lengthen and strengthen. And as every church does that across the world, then the nations of the world are reached. But we can't say, well, it's somebody else's job. No, it's ours, because we're here, right here in this place, in the context where we find ourselves. And this is what the church has done for generations. This is why you're here today. Because the gospel came to you at some point. Somebody shared it with you and then somebody discipled you and walked with you and helped you come from non-believer to believer to to maturing believer. Somebody has walked with you. You are part of a chain. The gospel went there and there to there to there. It came to you and it came to you not to stay with you. I'm the end of the chain. No, it came to you to go to the next person. So you are a disciple. You are a learner of Christ. But you're learning not just for yourself. You're learning for the person who comes behind you, who comes after you, the next person in the chain. And that's exactly what the early church did. And I'm so grateful they did. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. They got the commission to go from Jerusalem to Judea, through Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're the ends of the earth. We don't get mentioned anywhere. We're some far off island, like some random little place that no one cares about. We think, rule Britannia, Britannia rules the waves. No, it doesn't. We're like proper far off place. Don't mention Nigeria either. I'm not sure exactly why you're laughing. (laughs) We're the far off people. Unless you're an ethnic Jew, this gospel has come to you. And every generation has a responsibility to go again and again and again. I'm so thankful the early church didn't go, well, Jerusalem, thank you very much. This is huge. We'll stay here. Look how big we are. 3,000 of us, no more, that'll do. No, they took it really seriously and they went. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Doesn't stop with us. And what's wonderful is that they weren't experts. (laughs) They didn't have degrees in this stuff. They weren't like geniuses. They were just ordinary people. Imperfect people following a perfect plan. That's what we are, guys. The church, the most imperfect, perfect plan in all of history. Imperfect because it's got people like you and me in it. We kind of tend to muck things up generally. (laughs) but perfect because of the one who bled and died for it. 
Perfect is the one who leads it. Perfect is the one who has all authority. He's in charge. Our job is to introduce people to him and teach them to follow him like we're doing. And we get so caught up in thinking, I'm not so sure I'm very good at this. I'm not sure my life is really, is kind of, I, I don't think I can do it. I don't know enough. I don't know enough. I've not been enough. You're better. That person's better. No, I'm just too busy. Oh, I'd love to, but everything, I don't know enough. I don't know any Greek words. He knows three. I actually know four. I just rotate them. All right? It's thing, I don't know that. How can I possibly know? Listen, when we look at the early church, when we look at the first followers, who heard these words, go make disciples, who heard the words, Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses, we see two things. We see first up that it's just very ordinary people who are involved. And secondly, we see it's very ordinary people not on their own, but doing it together. See, these were not experts. Being a disciple who makes disciples is not about being an expert, it's about faithfully following Jesus in everything you do, mistakes and all. About putting one, it's not about the perfect life, it's about putting one foot in front of the other and keep going forward and learning on the way and sharing life with other people as you do it. Because we see the early church and it wasn't, okay, me, by myself, thank you, I'll make all these disciples, off we go. No, 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 you can't make disciples on your own, nor can you be a disciple on your own. You see, being a disciple is not a lone task. It's a community event. When Jesus said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, because we're highly individualistic, we think of some little guy sitting there with a fishing rod. That's what we think fishing as. I mean, it doesn't get more exciting than that, does it? That's what we think of it as. Everybody in the New Testament knows that fishing is not some, it's not a sport, it's a way of life. And they'd get these massive great nets and the fishermen would go out and they'd drag the, net, drag the nets in and then everybody would be involved. Everybody would be involved pulling the nets in, the young people, the old people, the, those who know what they're doing, those who don't know what they're doing, everybody would be involved. And when it comes to hauling in the catch and, and bringing the boats back and getting it all in, they were, like literally everyone was in. And even if you were injured, it's like, that's okay, we'll get better and just stay there and do, play your part. Show somebody else how to gut a fish properly. Those who are new into the village, just kind of a lot of age or just moved in or whatever, there is like, I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay, let me show you. Come over here. Don't pull it like that. Pull it like this. And you get that fish and you whack it on the head and then you cut that bit open and you slice that bit open and then now you know what to do. Show that person what to do. And that's how they did fishing. And those who are kind of like doing it wrong, no, listen, you don't pull the net like that. All the fish are falling out. Do it this way round. And they'd correct them. And then somebody would correct the person for correcting them because, hey, listen, you can do it way more graciously. Don't shout at them that they don't know what they're doing. Just kind of say, hey, maybe the best idea is to keep the net closed so the fish don't jump out. I mean, just try it maybe. It's that kind of encouraging thing. And then the guy who's like grumpy Trevor, or if he's Trevor, I'm sorry. Trevor just sitting, it's just a New Testament name. And grumpy Trevor is like, I'm not, they don't fish the way I like fishing. That's not how you do fishing. You should fish like this. This is, I'm going to sit over here. You go, Trevor, what are you doing, mate? We're in this together. I know it's not the way you do it. It doesn't really matter. The fish are coming in. We'll try your way next time, maybe. And that's the way it works. It's exactly the same way it works with making disciples. You're injured. You can't, you're hurt. Well, let's help you get better. But you're not going to sit out of, you're not like in some hospital room out the back. You're not involved. Well, we'll see you again in six months when you're recovered. 
Oh, we walk with you. You've got something to offer. You're new. I don't know what I'm doing. Well, do you know what? I'm just a little bit further ahead in there. I don't know what I'm doing game than you. So just come and don't know what you're doing with me as we go. <laughs> Some of you think you're joking. I'm joking. I've literally read the next page. That's it. Some of us uh, don't do it the way I want to do it. Oh, well, listen. You're probably right. But that's kind of the way we're doing it. So come and get involved. Come and help shape things rather than meh. <laughs> see, when we look at the early church, we, oh wow, we see a community at work. Acts 2. This is what they did. Let's just look at this real quick. So they understood it wasn't about experts. They understood it wasn't about individuals. Acts 2.42. This is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. That's how they did it. Our problem is, is when we read passages like this, we immediately think of it as being prescriptive rather than descriptive. We immediately go, okay, we need a program then. Here's how it works. This is how you do communion. This is how you pray. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. You do that. You do that. You do that. And we turn it into a course or a program. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Courses and programs. Excellent. But this is just descriptive of a bunch of people who just did it naturally. You see, we're so accustomed to thinking in terms of defining ourselves by what we do that we miss the heart of these verses. We're so good at putting our lives into neat little boxes. Job. Family. Fun, church, discipleship, community. What else do I have to do? That we miss it. And it leads to such confusion. It leads us, frankly, to being exhausted because we're just running around spinning plates. Spin the plate of job. Now I've got to do this. And oh man, this is the one I was. This is the one on community, isn't it? Where we should all sign up to community. Spin a plate on this. What's coming next week? It'll be another thing in church. Spin a plate on this. We just think of ourselves like what we do the whole time. And to be honest with you, it's not a helpful understand way of thinking. See, a far more helpful understand way of thinking about community is to understand that community is not something we do, it's who we are. And a far better way of understanding and thinking about discipleship is it's not something we do, it's who we are. Think about babies for a moment. Right, babies, you don't have to tell them to cry, they just cry. It's who they are. It's not... They cry, therefore they're a baby. No, they're a baby, therefore they cry. That's just part of what they do. And here's, we, are, we go the other way around. I mean, just, just for a moment, hopefully this is helpful. Think, me and my family, all right? Me and my family. There are, there are times that we do things as a family that are organized. We do it all together. And there are times we don't. There are times when we're all together as a family. There's, there's five of us, me and Han and three kids, and there are times we're not all together. So at which point of any of those times am I part of the family? Is it just when we have our organized times, I'm part of the family? Or when we're all together, I'm part of the family? 
And you say, well, of course not. That's ridiculous. You're not just part of the family when you're all together. I'm as much part of the family when I'm not with them as when I am with them. I'm as much part of the family when we're doing an organised family time thing as when we're not doing an organised family thing. I'm no less part of the family. I'm no less a member of the family when I'm with them as when I'm not. And being part of the family is, well, it's my identity. It's who I am. I'm, I'm part of my family. And so that affects the way I behave when I'm with them and when I'm not. I don't book my family in on a Wednesday night. That's when we do family. Wednesday night between the hours of 8 and 9.30. And if it gets to 9.35, I'm going to be upset with you and not come again next week. Right? That's, that's not how we do, I do family. That's just not it. I mean, or we're doing the family course at the moment. In our house, we're doing the family course. Which means each of you shall have a 30-minute slot with me once a week where I shall ask you five questions. The last of which is, have you just lied to me? I mean, that's, that's not how I do family. And yet, that's so often how we approach community and discipleship. It's what I go to on a Wednesday night, or it's a set of questions I ask somebody. Are you, are you doing what you should do? Are you not looking at what you shouldn't do? Are you acting the way you should do? Have you done better since the last time I saw you? Have you just lied to me? <laughs> now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's, it's inappropriate to do that. Right? Courses and meetings and gathering together. There are moments where I put in the diary with Han. We are together with a family. My phone is off. Nothing is distracted. She knows what's coming. It's intentional family time. But I'm no less part of the family than when I'm not there. So what do I do? I pray. I contact. I speak to Han most days, even when I'm not around. If I'm not in the country, I'll still speak to her at some point. How's it going? Are you okay? I'll try and FaceTime the kids, which is just a pointless exercise. But I try and do it anyway. Most of the time, I just stick a photo up in front of the camera and just leave it because they just talk at you. But I'm engaged with the family the whole time. See, being part of my family is part of my identity. It's not what I do, it's who I am. And we need to be really careful with this because we need to understand that what we do is an expression of who we are. You are a child of God, adopted through the grace of Jesus Christ. And that transforms you into a member of the family. You didn't do anything. You didn't have to go through a course. You didn't have to prove it. You become part of the family. The moment you you become in Christ, you're part of the big global family of God. And God has placed us into smaller families called churches. And then churches get too big. And so we place ourselves into smaller communities as well. It's part of your identity. And here's the thing. I could not say... I'm a dad or a husband if I had no involvement whatsoever with my wife or kids. If I never saw him, well, I'm not not really in any meaningful sense of the word. It's exactly the same. Out of my identity, I do. It's not because I play with my kids that makes me a dad. It's because I'm a dad, I play with my kids. And it's exactly the same with community. I'm part of it, so I therefore, because it's who I am, it's something that I do. And that transforms everything. When I get saved... When I get that when I get saved, when I understand deeply that God has saved me and added me into a community, he's added me into a family, he's added me into a people with the purpose of seeing more people added, when I get that part of that is to grow up, to mature in Christ and to help other people do the same, when I get that part of my identity is to grow as a learner and no matter how slow it might feel, 
at times. I am growing because he who started a good work in me will bring it to completion. When I understand that that's who I am, I then give myself to it. My attitude and everything else, my my posture changes. It's not what can I get, it's what can I give. And that changes everything. You see, we look at the early church and we understood the, that they get, we see that they got the great commission. They understood this is what it was all about. And they lived with an attitude of give, not take. And the beauty of living with an attitude of give, not take, is that when you give rather than take, when that's a default setting of everybody, everybody's needs get met anyway. Wonderful. We see it right here in Acts 2. They were a community together. They were a community where the one another's took on flesh, not words, but action. They served one another through love. They carried one another's burdens. They forgave one another. They submitted to one another in fear of Christ. They spurred one another on towards love and good deeds. They loved one another. They confessed their sins to one another. They prayed for one another. And when someone sinned and did something that was no longer following God, they said, hey, what are you doing? And they gently and lovingly tried to correct them. And when somebody said, well, actually, I'm not interested in that, they got two or three others together and they said, hey, no, listen, brother, you, you, you're not lining your life up with Christ. You need... And when somebody got to the point where they said, I don't care, I'm so unrepentant, I'll do whatever I want to do, I am not willing to change. They said, well, listen, you can't be part of us anymore. And they put them outside the community for the sake of protecting the witness of the gospel and for the sake of maintaining the health of the members of the body. And for the hope in that they would shock them so much that they would go, actually, I want to be part of this body. I repent. I recognize I've sinned before God and I've done some mission and now please forgive me. And as soon as someone did that, they loved them right back into it and forgave them. They said, oh, well, come. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Be part of it. They one anothered each other in community and on mission to the ends of the earth. They taught one another how to be learners of Christ. And they were not perfect, but they just did it because it was part of their identity. And this is what discipleship is. A community of people who take seriously the commands of Jesus, who know what he says, who follow what he says, who love what he says, and who learn to live like Jesus and they help other people do the same. And the problem is, left to our own devices, we drift off from that. No one drifts towards holiness. No one drifts towards obedience. No one drifts towards maturity. No one drifts towards being a world champion, a 100-meter runner. No one drifts towards being any good at curling. Right? You have to practice because it's weird and you need to understand everything. And you've got to learn some stuff. You don't drift towards it. You're disciplined towards it. And you need others around you to do it. So when we're left to our own devices, we drift right away and we start thinking it's all about me and what can I get out of it and these people are not doing what they should do and we become grumpy Trevor over here. We need one another. Is this church perfect? No! Too many of you shook your heads at that moment. (laughs) No, it's not. We make so many mistakes. Of course we do. We're filled with imperfect people. We're led by imperfect people. But we're part of a perfect plan to make disciples to all nations. No one's an expert. Everyone's involved. And the way in which we get involved is by giving ourselves. Yet to the big gatherings, that's why coming each week is important. We're not just bums on seats, we're ministering to one another. Even your singing is ministering to someone next to you or behind you. Did you know that? Why do we sing corporately? Part of it is exalting Jesus, but part of it is encouraging the body. I don't sing very well. Well, that encourages me even the more to sing louder so I can't hear you. It's that moment. (laughs) 
Some of you sing like angels. Keep going, it's wonderful. I'm being serious. It's a flippant, I'm just, I'm as a daft remark about your quality of your singing, but I'm being serious. Your presence ministers to someone else. And when you're not here, it robs the body of your presence. And it robs your brothers and sisters in Christ from being ministered to by your presence. The encouraging word, the moment I'm praying with you, the moment of yes and amen. When I said that, amen, wow, yeah. So it manifests itself Sundays, but we can't do all the one anotherings on a Sunday. You can't one another the back of someone's head. It just gets weird and awkward. That's why we've split in other communities. So for some of us, as we finish this, there's a next step of making a move towards God. It's giving yourself, joining in. For some of us, that means we need to get over some hurts. People have hurt you. Yeah, they have. They'll probably do it again. Did they mean to? Hopefully not. But even if they did. Oh, you, what? You can't say that? No, I can. <laughs> I'm not trying to pretend something we're not. All singing, all dancing. No. We're all singing. Occasionally we shuffle. <laughs> some of us need to step in beyond some hurts. Some of us need to step out of some busyness that's preventing us from playing our part in the life of a community. Some of us need to step beyond just the going to a meeting or going to a community and recognize this is who I am. Some of us are hesitating right now. Do you know what? That's okay because Jesus comes and meets you in your moment of hesitation. Ultimately, this is about his glory and his name in the nations of the world. And what's so ridiculous and so incredible about it all is that Jesus chose you and invited you and he invited me and he invited the person sitting next to you and the person behind you and the person in front of you into the game to play our part because every single one of us has a part to play. Because every single one of us is learning what it is to be a mathet, a learner, a disciple of Christ. And every single one of us has a part to play in helping everybody else make that next step going forward. So as we finish, opportunity now for some of us to step up, to step in, to play a part, to align ourselves with Jesus. Say, okay, Jesus, this is who you are. I believe you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to follow you with everything I've got. Help me in my weakness. Help me in my imperfection. Help me in my unbelief. Let's pray.